learning happens when all things come together and what can only be described as perfect chaos. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Perfect Chaos Podcast. It's Rhonda and David. Together we make up the Perfect Chaos team. Perfect Chaos not only represents how we started this, but also who we are. Rhonda is an assistant professor of education at a local university, and I am a program director and professor at a nearby community college. Our backgrounds are diverse, ranging from sociology, criminal justice, and fire and emergency medical services to emergency management, and together, education. And this comes together into our perfect chaos. There is no denying that the state of education is in serious need. We need more teachers, we need more assistants, we need more money, we need more time, and the list could continue on forever if we let it. For the past couple of years, we've seen conferences canceled or moved online, but we're now starting to see them coming back as live and in person. The question then becomes, should we go to these or present at these conferences? What is there to gain? How do we do that? And how do we still keep up with all the other demands? And we'll be right back with this discussion after these messages from our sponsor. We are Rhonda and David, and this is Our Perfect Chaos. So we're back behind the microphone now after a long hiatus. We kind of talked about some of the things that were going on beforehand, but uh, as of the release of this episode, uh, we're going to be seeing your textbook textbook is out it, it is done it is published it's available for anybody who wants to so go ahead and tell everybody what it is and how they can find it um you can find it at the kindle hunt publishing website it's a textbook about educational technology um but it's written more from the perspective of uh, trying to give us all big picture ideas the practical applications the things that we can actually use in the classroom um, one of the things that I was struggling with with EdTech was that everything seemed to be super computer science-y or um, super theoretical and philosophical. And philosophy in theory is wonderful, but nobody remembers that it was Vygotsky's theory when they're standing in front of a room full of kids. So what I really tried to do with the book was to look at things more from the practical aspects. So the name of the book is Educational Technology, Big Pictures and Practical Applications for the Classroom. You can get it at Kindle Hunt Publishing. There you go. And so lots of things have been going on and we're finally back behind the microphone. Uh, uh, we we are in 2020 now, or 2020 2022 now, not uh, not trying to put us back there at all. Backwards. We're not we're not going backwards. So, uh, as you said in the introduction, you know we're talking about uh, uh, going back to the live conference. Now we understand that uh, even right now there's a lot of uh, diversity when you talk about the different states, but many places are starting to get to the point where you. Can, you can get back together. There's local, state, and national conferences that are out there. And so, um, you know, we've we've been to some of them. And, uh, you know, getting back to where we were pre-2020. I don't know if we'll ever be back, but it sure is nice. I got to go to two last semester in-person conferences. And, man, it was nice to actually be in person again it's 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 one of those things to you know see people you know we see them through zoom but you know as we all know you know zoom is there's a uh, there's a different feeling yes you see somebody but you know it's it's one of those things that having an opportunity to just see and discuss and be in the same room is kind of nice well and one of the conferences that i went to um it was the Tennessee Educational Technology Conference. And so they had a ton of vendors with a ton of different um, technology tools and, you know, even things like cases and bags, that kind of thing. So it was nice just to be able to put your hands on stuff. Right. Or to yeah. try it out or, you know, different whiteboard technologies, different, you know, just to be able to actually try it out right there, live and in person. 
It was nice. Had a chance to go to some virtual conferences that had a decent vendor area, and they, you know, you could tell that they definitely put some thought into it. But uh, when it when it really come down to it, and uh, you know, I, I didn't, I never really got the same as what I did before. So uh, that's definitely a good thing. Well, and I think there is a there's a frame of mind that you get when you go to the conference, right? Um, and you're out of your normal spot. So even the virtual conferences that I've done, and I've, I mean, I've done some, some pretty cool virtual conferences throughout all this, but it's hard, you know, when you're sitting in your office doing a virtual conference or sitting at home doing a virtual conference, not to just be like, well, I'm not super interested in this and, you know, so I'm going to do this. Maybe I'm this. not all the way paying attention. So there's I've got laundry that needs to be done. When you do those in your offices, it's the the constant of students coming in, you know, people needing you, that kind of thing. So, so let's let's get into the conferences just a little bit. And so we have some uh, definite questions that, I, you know, I, I think now more than ever, some of these questions that uh, we have uh, are going to, you know, there's there's definitely some implications in we're going to talk about not only, you know, the COVID side of things, but, uh, you know, just conferences in general. So as we talk about going back to the in-person conferences and really kind of taking out the COVID first, you know, what are some of the barriers to going to conferences? I think your first one is cost, just pure and simple. Um, how much does it cost to go to the conference? Are you going to have to stay there? How much is that going to cost? Um you know, how much is the conference registration fee? How much are you going to pay for, for meals while you're there? That kind of thing. And who covers those costs? You know, um, and if your institution, if your school pays those costs, do they pay them on the front end or do you have to pay for it and get reimbursed? So if it's that, how long does it take to get a reimbursement? Um, you know, I think that's that cost issue can be a huge barrier. Then I think, you know, as teachers, whether we're um, talking P-12 teachers in a public school, if you're talking higher ed teachers, you know, P-12, you've got to have a sub, right? So you got to make plans. you got to make sub plans. you got to find somebody to sub for you. But even in higher ed, you know, if you're going to be gone for two days, like in your program, you can't just cancel two days classes. Right. That, that's not a thing. You all have, you know, a state mandated uh, we have to have enough um, hours in class, that kind of thing, uh, for them to be able to test. So, you know, then you've got to get a sub. You've got to prep the lesson plans. Depending on what sub you get, you've got to deal with, you know, is this somebody that can teach my content? Am I leaving them something to teach? Am I leaving videos? Am I leaving, you know, busy work? Uh, that was always, you know, when we were kids, uh, you knew you had a sub because you'd walk in and the TV cart was in the room, right? Um, which was fun for us, but, you know, do, what does that do to what we were, what we're already trying to do on a time crunch? So I think that's another barrier is just that concept of what do my students do while I'm gone um you know especially right now COVID has complicated that um because it's hard enough for us to keep up with who's there and who's not and and catch them up and catch up the quarantine and all that um now there's no subs <laughs> right you know um so if you're going if you're living in the p12 world and you're going to go two or three days to a conference, does that mean that the other teachers in the building are going to have to give up their plan time? time? Or are they going to take your class? I know when I taught high school, I got um, really, really sick. This was pre-COVID, obviously, but I got really, really sick one morning. And so, I I mean, I was up all night. I made sub plans and put them in there, but they couldn't get a sub. So then my class of 30 kids three went to this room and three went to that room. And, you know, so then all the work that I had put in to try and give them something to do, they couldn't do because they weren't even all in the same place. In the same place. So, you know, I do think that's a, a piece of it that maybe has been amplified by COVID. Um, it's well, just that 
who who's going to watch my class? And you know, so as as we've talked about in many of our previous episodes, you know, uh, you know, twenty five and twenty six, we talked specifically about the teacher shortage, but a lot of that goes into not only just the teacher shortage, but those, as you said, the subs that go with that. And so I want to go back just a little bit. So when we're talking about the cost of conferences, you know, that's one of the things that uh, commonly get looked at. I want to take a look at this slightly a little bit differently as well, give our administrators out there something to look at as well. You know, it's one of those things that a lot of times uh, when when a teacher comes up to you and says, hey, I want to go to XYZ conference, um, it's going to cost, you know, one forty nine for the registration fee. And you're like, no, we can't do that. And, you know, it's like, well, it's 150 bucks. We're spending, you know, you know, 10 times more than that on toilet paper. You know, why can't I go? And, it's, and as you mentioned, you know, there's a couple of things that you have to go to with that. You know, you're still paying for that individual if it's a, you know, school approved. And then you have to pay for the sub. Then you have to pay for the registration fee, the travel, the hotel and stuff like that. Um, so that 149 Usually, you know, depending on what it's looking at, if it's a statewide conference, it's not quite as as much. Uh, but if it's a national conference or something like that, you could end up thousand, fifteen hundred bucks just in the travel side, plus that, and then then your cost. So the part that I wanted to get into there is, you know, kind of how do we, um, how are we able to take a look at that? You know, because as we know, you know, our budgets are are approved. You know, well before you know most of these conferences are, so it's not like I can just go back and say, "Hey, I want more money." Uh, you know, that's something that we need to plan for. So, as an administrator, you know, we've got to find a way to break down that barrier and you know build those costs into our budget. And because I do think, and I think you are very similar, that conferences are very beneficial if it's not the networking, the vending, or the contents that's there. So as those sitting in those administrator roles that, you know, with those budgets that we have to submit, I think that's definitely something that we need to put into place. Um, so definitely something. Yeah. I mean, I also think you've got the, another barrier of just finding a good conference. Um, you know, we've both been to enough conferences to know that they're not all. Not equal. all conferences are created equal. Um, as far as what you take from them. You know, and and so if you're a new teacher, how do you find a good conference? How do you know, you know, this conference looks good. It says it's about education. It says it's about my world. But you get there and it's not really anything about education. It's all about the people that are out doing the thing. You know, what, how does that help you as an educator? So, I, you know, I think that's another... You know, if you want to look at talk about three major barriers as far as going to conferences, for me, it's going to be cost. It's going to be what do you do with your students? And then how do you find a good one? And I think that's because we all know that, you know, with uh, content creation, we're, we're sitting here doing it uh, ourselves right now. But you can you can market a conference to make it look awesome. Right. And we all know that you can make an abstract you know, sound like a session is going to be super phenomenal, but once you stretch that out to a 30, 60, or 90-minute window, you're like, yeah, I would have gotten more by just, you know, playing on my iPad. Right. Um, so that, that's definitely something that, that is super uh, hard to do. But, uh, you know, it's one of those that as you get out there and network, it's, you know, you can find ones from that network when when your friend recommend, recommends one. Hey, I know you don't normally get out, but you can come over to my state and we have this conference and it's awesome. And right. So. All right. So one of the barriers that we've talked about is cost. Right. And a lot of times the one of the ways to offset some cost, you know, um, now, for some reason, you managed to have gone to conferences that you get paid for. And I have yet to manage to be able to do that. Um but a lot of times you can, you know, submit um, a proposal to present at the conference. And if you're chosen, that may offset a portion of, if not all of your registration fees. Right. So if we want to go that route, right, I really want to go to this conference. You know, my admin says we just don't have money, but it's in town where my sister lives. So I have a place to stay. 
you know, I've really just got to deal with the registration fee. Um, so now I want to think I want to do a proposal and present. So what are our barriers for that? So one, and I think this is probably the hardest and, uh, you know, I've actually got one sitting in my inbox right now. Uh, that that is one I usually try to submit to is one getting into the circle knowing when conference submissions are due. Yeah, um, you know that I think that's probably the biggest one because you know everybody sees uh, the information about the conference when it comes out. Hey, you know X Y Z conference is here. Come to our website, figure it out. Blah blah blah. But they miss the the single email. You know because we get so many emails, or we we may not be looking. And it says, hey, you know, if you want to present at XYZ conference, uh, submit by, you know, I think this one is by January the 4th. Um, and, you, you know, might want to get on that. I, I may. I, I, I hadn't figured out if I was going to. I was thinking about it and then completely fell off my radar. But, uh, you know, it, it's but that I think is one of the biggest ones is is, is knowing where to go locate them because as you mentioned you know finding call for proposals yeah finding your call for proposal because not only does it take a lot to figure out what a good conference is but it's also difficult to find out what the good conferences are as well as finding out when because usually those call for presentations are anywhere from uh, three, six months. Some of them are as far as 12 months ahead of right so I, su I submitted my presentation for ISTE it had to be submitted by December the 1st, and the conference is not until June. Right. I won't even find out until February, I think. So some of the, you know, and I think one of the best bets, if you look at some of those national conferences or larger conferences, um, you know, you can factor those being anywhere from 6 to 12 months ahead of schedule, and most of those have a regular date, Um Maybe not like November 7 and 8, but you know it's on the last half of November every year. Right. Or, you know, ISTE. I bet you if you look at ISTE's conferences every year, they're in the same month. The same as, you know, one of our state conferences. Uh, it's it's some of the smaller conferences that tend to bounce around just a little bit more because they're uh, con constrained by the conference center schedules. Uh, but, you know, take a look. So find them. When you see conferences, if, if you're interested in presenting, you know, take down when they are and start to look back at their website or get on their subscription list so that you look, you know, three to six months or even longer um, before that. Right. OK, so then my big barrier to presenting at conferences, um, I think, has a lot to do with how I prep a proposal. Right. So. At the last conference that I presented at, because <laughs> even when I was driving home, you know, I was talking to you about it and it was such a good conference. But one of the things that I realized, it was a huge conference. And one of the things that I realized was that a lot of the people that were presenting, they just have conference presentations that they just cycle through. Right. So it's, you know, not necessarily a pre like a pre-made lesson, but. You can kind of think of it that way as a pre-made lesson. Right. They've created their, their proposal. They've created their presentation. And they might submit that same presentation to 20 15, different 20 different conferences. Um, for me, I've always tried to I look at what the conference is about right. and create my proposal around that. Right. So... Um, you know, I try to fit into the theme or, or, you know, fit what's going on. Right. That kind of thing. So for for somebody like me who does conference proposals that way, every time I'm submitting a proposal, basically I've got to go build my presentation but to submit the proposal. Right. Because you got to tell them what it's going to be about and what your objectives are. I mean, you're basically creating the lesson. Right. Um. So I think for someone like me who actually didn't honestly, you know, totally transparent, did not even realize that people did this and they just created a presentation and then sent it out to 15 or 20 different conferences. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I'm, I'm one of those differentiation teachers. <laughs> like we got to do something different every time. Um, so for somebody like me, one of my big barriers to presenting at a conference is having the time to get the proposal together 
but also the fact that I'm going to build the whole lesson to do the proposal and cross my fingers that it gets picked up. Well, and I, I think, you know, as we take a look at some of these, you know, I think both of them are actually very beneficial. Uh, I think one of the key things is, is you you do not have a primary role that you want to present every day, right. all year. Right. Uh, some of those individuals do. Uh, that is, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, some of these conferences will allow you to to get a stipend. And if you're keynote and some like that, you you can actually make some tremendous amount of money by going. And then some of the breakout sessions are, you know, right. a lot less. So it really kind of depends on what your foci is as to your foci, your foci, your foci, your foci um, is here <laughs> to how you're going to build that. But I think even if you do come along the way of having, you know, 10 to 15 or 20 presentations in your area, um, you can still adapt those to the individual because I'm, I'm very similar to you that I like to look and see what, you know, because each conference typically has a theme. It's like, oh, you know, this is this. Well, it's only got a theme, but they normally, especially when I'm presenting to conferences that I've been to, you know, they have a, a feel. They have, I right. mean, you have a culture of a conference just like you have a culture in a classroom. Right. Um, you know, so that kind of thing. Um, and then I think another barrier, and maybe this is just me. Y'all can tell us if, if it's not just me. But, you know, we've talked before, I don't know, somewhere back in these 20-some-odd episodes we've done, that I have really bad imposter syndrome, right? It was the, one of the problems with writing the book, was this feeling of, why does anybody care what I have to say? Like, why are they, what does it matter? Um, that was my argument about against doing a podcast you know so i think then that's another barrier um is for a lot of people to sit there and be like yeah but you know maybe i'm a new teacher what do i have to contribute or maybe you know i'm close to retirement what do i have to contribute i'm just towing the line keeping my kids in line you know doing what i gotta do that kind of thing and i, I do think that's a a very real barrier for a lot of people well and, and you know it's it's one of those things that, especially that last one uh, where you said you know you you may be retiring or you may be just coming in you know i think that's one of the key that hey you've been here for 30 years and you're in the environment that i'm coming into and you'll be like hey this is stuff that we've learned this is stuff that we have done and uh you know we we've been able to figure this out and you know a lot of people like to hear that and right. it gives them an idea of the different challenges that have come, what has come over the years, because even though the challenge may be different, there it's a challenge. And, you know, understanding that helps you with those challenges in the future. So uh, definitely it's... If you've got something that you're strong in, chances are somebody else is going to want to hear it. Right. But it's just, you know, convincing yourself of that. Right. You know, and especially when you look, not all, just like not all conferences are created equal, not all conference proposals are created equal. And that submission process looks very different in some places than it does in others. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at some of the submissions where, you know, it's, it takes an hour or two just to get through the submission process, not counting yeah. what you're creating for the submission process. When you're in that mode, it's hard if you don't necessarily have a whole lot of confidence or or if you're not in that frame of mind that, well, people really want to hear what I have to say. It's hard to make yourself do that. Right. Um, so I think, you know. We had three barriers for going to conferences. I think we got three barriers for presenting at conferences. I do. I think you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna combine actually two of our points that we're kind of looking at going here in the next little bit because um, the question, I guess, internally or even externally, when you're trying to justify it, uh, kind of comes. 
what can be gained at a conference that I can't do by just simply reading a newsletter or a journal article or a new textbook? So why even go, why commit this $1,000, $1,500 to sending you to this conference when I can just give you a piece of paper to read? You know, and I think that there's there's some very like obvious benefits. I mean, you know, the the first one that everybody's going to throw out is networking. I get to network with people that I don't normally see. And and that is an obvious benefit to a conference. Um I will tell you sometimes it's not quite as obvious or it's not I shouldn't say it's not quite as obvious. Sometimes you don't get quite as much from the networking as you hope you to. Um but, you know, that that's kind of your your first one is I get to actually talk to the people as opposed to just reading it. So there there's dialogue to it. You get to go through the vendor areas and and touch the things, right. um, you know, use when you go to your EMS conferences and they have simulation mannequins. There's a big old difference when you can actually touch that simulation mannequin versus when you watch a video. Um, and same thing, you know, the the Tennessee EdTech conference, looking at some of the assistive technology, there's a big difference when I when I'm holding it in my hand versus watching a video about it. So I, I think that's part of it. I also think that for me, one of the benefits is to go and be a student again Um you know, a lot of us are at the point that we do a lot of teaching um, and not that we're not doing a lot of learning, but we're not doing a whole lot of studenting. Um, and I do feel like going to conferences gives us that opportunity um, to be a student, to experience maybe how other people teach, which is great, uh, regardless of whether what you think they're doing is good or bad. There is a lot to be gained by sitting there as a student um, and and seeing that student side of things. the That side of, you know, you give an assignment or you give, you know, we're going to work in this program or work with this tool that you've been using for 10 years. And so we forget how to explain it sometimes. And I, I think that can be gained from going to conferences. I think it can be a confidence builder for a lot of people, especially if you're going to present at conferences. Um, and just to get out of that place that we are all the time. Well, it's kind of interesting. It's amazing what happens when you change, just change the scenery. If you take a look, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that there has, is, has ever been a time in history that you have as many different generations generational types in the classroom at the same time right now right <laughs> um and you know each different generation has a different communication style has a different engagement style and you know and that's one of the things we take should be taking away from some of these different conferences because when you go as you mentioned you know there's some new people there's some old people um and veterans, and we like veterans, veterans. <laughs> and anything really in between. And just that network or that presentation, you can find that different engagement style between each one of them. And you can sit there and go, hey, I had conference or I, I went into this presentation with this individual that was a, you know, X, whatever generation they were in. And this is how they communicated. And I saw the people responding, you know, in the crowd by this, but then I went into this other, which is a different generation. I saw this engagement and you could take that back and then turn it around. Uh, because I think every generation learns from every generation somehow. And so if you, they, use, should. they should, and, uh, you know, I think you can turn those, uh, around into, uh, your teaching style. And then, you know, reading a paper, 
you know, there's a ton of information in there. But why, you know, most of them are written in some sort of academic format from our medical, from my medical journals to your education journals and stuff. Very academic, very uh, straightforward to the point. Here's the data. Here's how we reviewed it. Here's what we put into play. But the question is, is what is the passion behind that journal? Why, or why did that article get written? Why did that? And I think that's the part that you can get. And I think that to me actually creates a different mindset and that I would actually come up with a different set of questions if I read the data than I would by hearing the, the authors or the presenters tell me that. So, you know, engage that creativity a little bit differently. And then you can follow up then with them in person and go, hey, you know, what about this, this or this? Well, and it, you know, I I hesitate to call it this, but I think it's probably the best thing to call it um, because, you know, we are in the South. But conferences are like revivals. Um, you know, we get up, we go to church every Sunday, pay attention, also write in the bulletin to figure out where you're going to go eat. You know, I, I mean, let's just be honest. This is what happens. You try to pay attention, but a lot of times you zone out. But for some reason, when you go to a revival, right? And I'm talking like old timey revivals under the tent. Like you got one for the whole county. Um, everybody's there. It goes for three or four hours, right? Those kinds of things. And you leave and you're just like on fire for what they were talking about, Right. That's what a conference does. A good conference, when you leave there, you are on fire with ideas and things that you can put into into practice. Um, you're smiling at me with a weird smile. As soon as you said that, and I had to pull this up, I automatically got to thinking the day the squirrel went berserk in the first self-righteous church. In the no, that is no. Pascagoula. <laughs> And for all those that are too young to remember, that would be the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. Uh, not the one that Ron is talking about right now, but a uh, song by Ray Stevens. Just had to toss that one in there. But I do think that's there is a level of excitement. Um, there is a level of passion that we just can't get from an article. And, and even really good articles. There's just something else to it. It's the difference between watching a football game on television or sitting in the stands. It's the difference between going to see Hamilton live or watching it on Disney Plus. Like, it's just a different feel. Doing the same thing in the same environment other than Einstein's definition of insanity, you know, you'll you end up with burnout. And so finding a way to, like you said, revive, bring back to life that career you know, even, you know, one of the things that we've seen is the escalation or the, the rapidity of, of of burnout in the environment, especially now during COVID with everything, um, you know, getting out, learning, puts you, as you said, back into the student environment, but, uh, you know, kind of allows you to reset and re-engage. And then you come back with great ideas or should, if it's a good conference, you come back with great ideas. And, and if it's not a good conference, you still come back with great ideas you're like, I don't of what you're not going to do, and which but, is fine. But you, you still come, learn something. You come back with that excitement to go, hey, I can be better. So, well, and I think there is a very definite, especially recently, there's a very de huge, large benefit, definite benefit, whatever words we want to use to seeing other people who are dealing with the same things you are. You know, the classroom is not easy. It wasn't easy before COVID. It's certainly not easy now. Um, and to just sit back with some people who they're not from your district. It's a totally different district. And to recognize that, you know what, everybody's having the same problems. Doesn't make us feel great about those problems, but at least you're not alone on an island. Um, and right now, that may be the most important thing you gain at a conference 
is just that feeling that, you know what, there are other people doing this. Because right now, if all you're looking at is what you're seeing on social media, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, somehow I stumbled over to teacher quit talk. Like, it's real easy to get real negative real quick. Um, so to see other people that are dealing with the same things you are and are also, you know, hey, how can, how, what ideas have you got? How can we get better at this? Those kinds of things. So whenever we do step out of the classroom, whether we're sick, take a mental health day, uh, <laughs> we're out of the classroom. You know, one of the things that is commonly uh, commonly talked about as an issue, you know, it's like I feel I feel guilty. I'm letting my students down because I'm leaving the classroom, and now I'm talking about leaving for one day, two days, a week. Right. How do we stop the feeling of guilt when we are away from the classrooms? Well, the f <laughs> I have multiple answers to this. The first thing that we have to do kind of hurts most of us. We have to admit that there are days they don't want to see us. Right? Now, in, in the public school, in the P-12 setting... Yeah, they've still got to be there whether you're there or not. But, you know, think back to when we were kids and you'd walk in and the TV cart was there. Yeah. You were pretty stoked, right? And it didn't mean you didn't like your teacher. It just meant you were pretty stoked. You didn't have to do stuff that day. You could just sit back and chill. Um, in the higher ed world, especially if it's one of those where we can give them, you know, uh, the conference that I went to... Um, in November, maybe October, November. Anyways, I had to cancel class, but I gave them a work day because they had several different projects they were working on. It was a, a kind of a heavy point in the semester for everything, you know, and it was really funny because I apologized to them before I left. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry that we're not going to have class and we're just going to do a work day. And they were like, um, <laughs> is See there ya. some reason that you think we're mad because you're canceling class? Um, you know, which kind of turned into this whole discussion we had in class about um, canceling class and and why that seemed like a bad thing. And that kind of those thoughts and what we do to ourselves as teachers, which is a whole other podcast we'll have to do one day. But um we do have to recognize that they're okay without us for a day and they enjoy it without us for a day. We now, are. I think uh, when we leave the P12 environment, uh, you know, I, I think P12 is a little bit different. You know, when you get into higher education, you know, they're, they're there for a purpose, you know, other than being told they have to go to school every day. Um, so I think in the P12 environment, yes, they absolutely bring the TV cart or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and they are actually more happy if you bring in a non-qualified sub. Right. Uh, so that, that there that, is a TV cart. There is a TV cart. And when you have a sub come in, like, uh, I'm a retired physics professor and we're going to discuss. Newton's yeah. They don't law, get real excited you know? about that. It's like, Oh crap. Why, why have a sub, you know, cause teacher's gone, but we still have to, to do work. Uh, in the higher ed environment, it's a little bit different because again, they're, they're there and they're designed there for a purpose and that, you know, that time's used, but even they will say, Hey, you know, if you were to come in and say, hey, class is canceled, class is canceled, class is canceled, class is canceled. Right. Then it's a little bit different because they're like, look, I'm paying to be here. and you Right. Need, but you come up and you, you know, make it quality, make it worthwhile. If you need to, and you've done it before in some of your criminal justice lectures, there's videos that you can make and say, hey, here's the topic. We're going to go over it. You're still going to learn something, but, you know, the, the threshold's a little bit lowered. Right. And make it worthwhile for them. Well, and right now we're in that, we're about to be in that time period. We are actually, I guess, currently under a winter storm warning while we're talking about canceling classes, you know, and the snow day and the zooming away of the snow day that we've talked about and those kinds of things. But very realistically, on the higher ed side, we don't cancel. Right. Now, your institution cancels more often than mine does because y'all are spread out and you're... Now, they've, they, they have actually made a, 
at one point in time, if if our college closed, everything closed, and then they made a decision a few years back because where we're spread out, we have some that are on the more affected side of the mountain range that the rest of us in the valley don't have. They could have a foot of snow at one of the north north or northwestern parts of the campus, and then our primary uh, area in the valley are like we're chilling here in like beach weather, you know. Right. Um, so, um, so I know they've done that, but you know, at a and part of that also is when you're dealing with a college where most everybody is a commuter versus dorm life. Right. Right. So colleges with dorms don't tend to cancel because somebody's got to go in and, and the children are already there. Right. So they have to be fed. fed. Um, and I will never forget, you know, U- University of Tennessee went like 50 years without canceling. without canceling because they canceled one day and the students were all in the dorms and they all went out and started having snowball fights and somehow that escalated and there were rocks and snowballs. There's a really big legend about it. But I mean, you know, it, it becomes this, okay, now we have all of these people on campus with nothing to do um, if we close. So as we're thinking about that though, some of these same things that, you know, when I look at conferences, it's like, okay, but during spring semester, because of where we live, how many days do I need to think that we may not be here? Right. Or in higher ed, how many times am I going to have half my class and the other half can't get there because they commute? You know, and where we are, it's very rural and we are in the south. We don't have snow plows. I don't really understand snow plows. Um my sister just moved to South Dakota, though, and I don't know, it's like one. negative two there for they whatever reason. They, there's people with Priuses with snow I guess, them. man, I don't know. I, I think the key thing when we're talking about getting away from that guilt, as we've kind of talked about, is simply finding a way to, you know, in our planning to go, you know, most of us are making a plan to go the day before, you know, but as we're planning, find a way to make it worthwhile to your students as well right and 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 acknowledge the fact that sometimes that means it's a work day right just hey you've got a worthwhile day doesn't necessarily mean a lesson right and that doesn't matter whether you're p12 higher ed grad level it doesn't matter so we know and we've we've talked about it here in, in many different episodes talking about you know the additional duties and responsibilities and stuff like that. The normal nine to five of a a classroom (laughs) is not ever nine to five. So when we take ourselves out of that from that one to five day window, how do we then keep ourselves from feeling overwhelmed by all the stuff that we're missing out that still has to be done? Well, so I think there's a couple of different, um, things that we can do for that. Um, and they all have to do with planning. Everything, you know, we've talked about it before. I talk about it in classes. The key to what we do is planning. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to have a 10-page lesson plan. That is not what I'm saying. But we do have to plan what we're doing. Um, we can't just wing it. And if we're going to go out of the classroom... We really have to plan. So, you know, maybe maybe you're planning some kind of an assessment to be given that day. Is it something that can be automated? Are you giving a multiple choice assessment? If so, can you do it in your LMS where it'll auto grade? You know, something like that would is one way to do it. Um, can we utilize some of these tools that are out there? Things like Khan Academy that have some quizzes built in. Um you know, can you use the the common sense education? You know that website, and I know I've talked about it before. Teaches digital citizenship, but it has full out lessons, you know, start to finish, and assessments for every grade out there. You know, so is it that hey, I'm just going to be gone for one day? I just need to fill one day. I don't really want to try to deal with doing a whole big sub plan. We're not really at a good point in in this particular um, unit that I can give an assessment, maybe this day 
we're going I'm going to give them one of these digital citizenship things. Maybe this day they're going to learn about digital health and why we should perhaps not be on our devices 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, because I don't know of any person out there that could not use a refresher on that sometimes. So I think that's part of it is just what do we plan? Um, another part is just allowing ourselves time to catch up. You know, you to a point you are the master of your schedule you know now we've got curriculum guides and pacing guides and testing windows and all those kinds of things that that play into it and i know that but you know be careful what you're giving them um one of my things and it, it's a belief that i hold really really firmly to just in general is that i don't give my students an, anything to do that i'm not going to grade and give feedback on. I don't do participation grades ever. Um, I don't do completion grades. That's just not, it's not my thing. Um, so I have to be really careful if I'm going to be gone. You know, when I taught high school and I went to um, the FEMA campus in Emmitsburg, I was gone for three days. I had to be really, really careful what I was giving them to do so that I didn't come back to three days worth of multiple assessments, multiple activities that needed to be graded and be given feedback on for every class I taught. You know, um, so I do feel like planning is one way to stop that feeling of being overwhelmed. Um, like I said, I, I also think just giving ourselves permission to say, hey, I'm going to this conference to become a better teacher. So it may take me a week to get caught up. Is it worth it? And it may give you an idea that turns around and makes you catch up a lot quicker. Right. That right. we may be doing something completely wrong because we didn't understand the system, and all of a sudden we learn a nice little trick, and next thing you know, we're better. So Correct. I think we've given a, a tremendous amount of uh Discussion points that are out there for those that are, especially those that are new in the profession from, from uh, P12 to higher ed, uh, to think about conferences and kind of get out there and see if this is their niche to go present, uh, but at least to go and engage in those uh, settings. So um, we're glad to be back behind the microphone. And so as we wrap up today, go ahead and go into your tip of the week. My tip of the week. Okay. Um, so I have been using Jamboard, Google Jamboard, a lot in my classes as I was finishing up um, fall semester. And must I had not used it previously in my college level courses um, because I very mistakenly had this thought in my head that it was too, too simple for them. Um and I have very quickly found out that it is not. They are loving it. It's not a new tool. Jamboard's been around for a while, but it is a free tool. And there are thousands upon thousands of templates that are free out there um, that people have made and created and they're willing to share. It can just make things a little easier to integrate them into what you already planned. It is part of the Google Suites. Um, so if you are a Google district, it's right there in what you have. Because it's Google, a lot of the learning management systems will actually work with it. It integrates really well with those. Um, and it's a great way to give your students something to do to collaborate. Um, you know, I've, I've made a couple that are like scratch-offs. I've made some that are, you know... Um, the post-its and you remove the post-its, those kinds of things. The The latest, the last thing that I did in my fall class, in my ed tech undergraduate class, was we had talked about makerspaces. So I broke them up into groups, gave them a $5,000 budget, and they had to create a Jamboard that they had to design their makerspace. Then it had to have, you know, you can add different slides, basically, different decks is what they're called to the Jamboard, so they had to have three decks. One was the design 
so how they wanted it to look in their classroom. And I mean, like, floor plan kind of thing. Um, one was exactly what they were going to purchase. So their listing of purchases with the links um, so to make sure that they were in budget. And then they had to have, the third one, they had to have a plan for how they were going to restock. Right? So they had to take into account not just, oh, well, I want to get a 3D printer for my makerspace. But, okay, but how much is it going to cost me to get the filament for the 3D printer for my classroom? Uh, so those were the things they had to put on there. Um, and then they got the option for a bonus on the assignment if they did a bonus deck of, and these are the ways, these are the ideas I already have to use. Right? The nice thing was they were in groups. They were able to work on it without all being in the same room. You know, a couple of them said they Zoomed. And they were all working on their deck at the same time because it's Google, so you can all work on the deck at the same time. Uh, so Jamboard is my tip of the week. It's a freebie. Um, good grief. You could go on Google and just Google jam free Jamboard templates, and you'll find thousands of them. All right. So as we conclude, conclude today, we'd like to say that we always look forward to recording these episodes. We're so glad uh, to be back, and we'll be coming uh, with several new episodes here uh, in the near future. And we'd love to engage with each one of you. However, without your feedback, we don't know what you're thinking. Uh, so just like the conferences, we like to know what our listeners uh, have. So if you uh, would, just reach out and let us know. And there's uh, several different ways. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. But you can also find us on the Perfect Chaos website at www.perfect.com chaos.org don't forget you can also follow us on twitter at perfect chaos 7 and instagram at perfect chaos 7 and you can find us personally at and my twitter is at drr blevins and mine is at ds blev don't forget if you're following us on the anchor.fm platform you can hit the message button and send us a voice message so don't forget to include uh to send us a message we'd love to include those in future episodes and lastly, don't forget to go by and find the Perfect Chaos Apparel. You can find us at The Pursuit Co. or The Pursuit Company at www.thepursuitco.com. Hit shop and you'll scroll down and you'll find us in the, towards the bottom, you'll find us in short sleeve, long sleeve shirts um, that are ready and able to be sent anywhere across the country. We'd uh, love to hear what conferences your favorites are. And we definitely love to hear which conferences. So tweet us. Tweet us. Facebook us. Facebook us. Instagram us. Instagram. Website. Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm. Leave us. Tell us what your faves are. Let's see if we're all going to the same conferences. Send us a video message with your Perfect Chaos shirts. Yeah. On. So. All right. With all of that, uh, just know that we want you to remain calm in your Perfect Chaos. 